You're listening to the Master Photography Podcast. Welcome into the Master Photography Roundtable, part of the Master Photography Podcast Network. You're joined by thousands of photographers listening to this show who are all on the same journey to master their photography. I'm Jeff Harmon, host for this episode, and with me today is Brian McGuckin. Brian, it's been way too long, my friend. How are you? Oh, I am good, Jeff. It's so good to talk with you. It, it has been way too long, and I apologize. Life is Life is crazy, and I have a lot in my head right now. You know, I think... I'll bet a lot of listeners can empathize. <laughs> they probably feel, I, I expect they feel the same way. I have a lot of the same kind of stuff going on with me. I have graduating, a senior just graduated high school and, and there's so much going on, but I'm so glad we could spend a few minutes today and talk. Uh, I'm, I'm super excited about this. It's going to be fun. All right. So today <laughs> we're not going to have like a, a single topic like we, we try to do on most of our episodes because Brian has so much going on in his life and so many thoughts that we're just going to do an episode that's kind of like the podcast that someday Brian will probably come back to. Thoughts on photography. Mm-hmm. We're just going to we're going to talk for the next hour just about whatever comes up and and just go for the next hour. How's that sound, Brian? That sounds great. <laughs> Hopefully, it'll all be focused on photography, and I won't sidetrack us. But. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll we'll try to keep each other kind of uh, at least staying within the realms of photography. We'll we'll see what comes out. Hopefully the, the listeners can can kind of empathize with us and say, all right, that was fun. It was a fun episode, even though it's not really a, a single topic. And, and we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I want to start off the conversation with a couple that I think would normally put you to sleep, Brian. But, <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, it must be tech stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's, there's some stuff that has been happening um, in the photography world related to technology. And I... Just wouldn't I? My geek cred would be pulled if I didn't bring it to the the podcast. So I so I have to talk about it. The first one is Lightroom Classic eight point three. So this was an update from Adobe in um in see I think it was May May twenty nineteen. They they made an update to Lightroom Classic. They removed the CC off the end of it, and we've talked about it a little bit in the other episodes. So I don't want to spend a lot of time here. I just want to say that. Uh, I had been reserving my um, my all clear on upgrading to this latest version. I wanted to give it kind of another week in the last episode. I mentioned that. So I want to say that I now am able to do that. I, I can give you the all clear. I think that for most photographers, you shouldn't end up having any significant problems if you upgrade. I, I of course, can't guarantee that not everyone's the same. And you you could still end up having a problem of some kind. It's just the nature of the game. But for most everyone, I anticipate you shouldn't have any problems. And if you upgrade, you're going to get version 8.3.1 right now here in early June 2019, which they did have one little problem or a couple little problems with uh, export functionality out of Lightroom that they fixed. And uh, with 8.3.1, everything seems to be pretty good at this point. There's not a lot going on in the Adobe forums um, to prevent me from saying it's all clear. So if you're interested in getting that new texture slider in Lightroom, which is really cool, I love it, uh, then you, you're you good to go. Go update. Go check it out. Um, love to hear your feedback, too, in the Facebook group. If if you're liking that texture slider, if you don't like it, it whatever it is, just let us know, and I hope the update goes well for you. Uh, Brian, you had any chance I'm to a upgrade big, that? I'm a big fan of it, yeah. Yeah, so I upgraded to it, and I really liked the texture slider. For some reason, there was something in me that I felt like with the clarity slider, I always had to give it something, uh-huh. even if it was just a one, uh-huh. you know, I don't know why, but I felt like it made a difference, which it probably didn't. Um, <laughs> but I, I really enjoy what the texture slide slider is doing. You know, what, what is the difference between what the texture slider does and the clarity slider? Yeah. So I'm also still working. I, I've been promising this for like a month now. <laughs> <laughs> a, a a photo talk episode to go into like some detail on texture what it is you're right it's kind of a it's kind of in between um clarity and sharpening sort of uh the way that i think is the easiest to for people who have done it which i don't know how many listeners might have but it's like and i described it to connor a, a few weeks ago that it's like frequency separation that people do on on high end like fashion shoots but it's, it's like a light version. Of course, it's not exactly the same because that's a fairly involved process that uh, has a lot of power in Photoshop. But but it's kind of like that. It's What it does is it focuses on like the 
the medium details is what Adobe has described it as. It's not the the most intricate details in the photo, and it's not the the ones where there's the the shadows or the surfaces where there's not a lot of detail at all, but the stuff in between those two. So it's really good on faces to be able to make it so that you can take some of the 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 pieces of the skin in the face that people want smoothed out and make it look smooth without losing all of the pores, without losing all of the the detail that's there making it look plasticky. So it's 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 really nice for portraits in particular, but you can and that's if you reduce the texture slider. If you increase it, you can bring out some of the details maybe like leaves on a tree or or some of the the medium level kind of details you can you can get that it's it's very different from clarity. You can you can easily compare the two and see how it's it's really different. But it's just another nice option to have as you're editing a photo in Lightroom to see if that texture slider might give you what you're looking for. And then, like I said, in particular portraits, it's beautiful for, for working with the skin. So, Do you think eventually they'll drop the clarity slider? No, no. They, there's still a reason for clarity. Uh, clarity still... So the way I was using clarity actually was different from, from what you were doing. On a portrait... I was actually almost always doing like a minus 10 on clarity. Um, uh-huh. And then I would bring in some sharpening in specific area, masking the sharpening in. And that would kind of get me a, a somewhat similar look to what texture alone will do. Um, but you, you kind of had to combine clarity and sharpening to, to get there. And now with the one slider, it just gives you a little bit different option to do it. So I, I think there's reason to have both. And it's going to make it a little harder for educators who want to teach people how to use Lightroom because you do have kind of gray areas where there's overlap between some of these sliders and, and describing when and how to use them. But uh, and that's what my photo talk episode is going to be about when I when I create it. <laughs> but okay, yeah, so. yeah, because I always thought like like what the texture slider does is what I feel like the clarity slider should have been doing this whole time ah. for for me. Um, and I don't do as many like close up portraits, so I usually don't go down into the negatives like you do, but that would make sense. Yeah. And I mean, that's just how I decided to use, I I liked the look I got by doing that. There's no right way or wrong way to do stuff in Lightroom. So, you know, it's, it's up to what you're, you're wanting to do and achieve and, and how do you knowing how to use the sliders to get there? Um, so there's no right way or wrong way, but my problem is. There is a way, and I don't know it. <laughs> right. It's, you know, with our conversation, I don't know if that's a good natural lead into it. Sure. But, it, uh, yeah, let's, let's like, talk about it. Let's talk about this, the, the drone shot that you, you, want to, you okay. need to work on. Let's talk about it. Go ahead. So, and this is where I have like, well, where do I start with? I have so many things. Um, so, I've been doing a lot of photography lately with, uh, with my drone. I had a Mavic Air for a while, um, which was fun to play with and everything. But, and I need, I need to sell that. So if somebody's in the market <laughs> for one, let me know. But I have a, a Mavic 2 Pro and I'm doing a project with the city. And while I'm out doing this project, which I talked about with Brent before uh, of the roundabouts, uh, I've, I've thought to myself, I need to start capturing more of my city, more of my community that I live in. So I've been getting some random fun shots of different things uh, that kind of stand out that people know right away as well as some fun kind of like artsy, you know, shots where people look at it and they're like, what is that? And then it's like, Oh, that's kind of neat. And so anyways, while I was out and about doing that, I got a shot of kind of like a clock tower and the sun was setting and I was having to shoot into the sun, which the, the camera on the Mavic two pro is awesome. But I mean, really with any camera, you know, shooting into the sun isn't always an easy thing to do. Right. And so I placed the sun kind of behind the clock tower and got what I think looks like a, a fun, pleasant shot. Uh, but the the sky is blue and it looked great. And I had it out there and I, I put it on, I think, where did I have it? Maybe on Facebook. I don't think it's on my Instagram. Um, maybe it is. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> somebody had contacted a company that I do a lot of photography for from my city and asked, hey, you know, we need some pictures of Carmel. Do you have anybody that you'd recommend, you know, that has photos that you know of? And so they referred that that company to me. And I had asked them, well, what are you looking for? And she's like, well, actually, I saw this shot of yours and I love it. And I would love to have that. 
So I'm like, oh, awesome. That was easy. You know, I didn't have to do much work. It was a shot I already had and she liked it. So that would be a, a good one to go with. And so I decided to print it out just because I'm also the artist of the month at my lo- local library. Congratulations. And so, thank you. <laughs> yeah. It really means nothing there that anybody do it, but thank you. Uh, it's just, I think it's fun. And I think it's something that everybody should do is they should have some type of gallery because it allows you to think about your pieces and how they go together. Uh, and you usually get good feedback, which sure. is always fun. Yeah. And so one of the pictures I tried to print out was this one that I'm talking about that the client wants. But I noticed the problem was there's a lot of pixelation up in the sky. Uh-huh. Uh, luckily, I'm pretty sure it's just a blue sky for the most part, not really much clouds. But then it, it transitions into like some yellow and orange and red because it's kind of a sunset. Uh-huh. Um, but the pixelation is obvious. And my, my photography, I would like to believe that I'm a decent photographer. And I know how to get the shot I want and do what I want with it. But if there's issues past what I am aware of, that's where I struggle. And so I've spent a lot of time trying to fix this in Photoshop. And I am not Brian Pex. So shout out to you, Brian. Great name, <laughs> by the way. I don't know Photoshop that well. I don't spend much time in it. I just use Lightroom for pretty much 99, 98% of what I do. Um, and I, I just use the main sliders because I don't do a lot with the brushes or the masks or anything like that, which I know I probably should. I'm not utilizing the tools I have. And so I'm stuck and I need to fix it because the client wants it and they want it, they want it, they want it pretty much a couple of days ago. Um, so I need to get it to them, but I need to fix it. And you're so smart, Jeff. So tell me what I should be doing. <laughs> and I love this question because you are a great photographer. You do, you've got lots of clients that are super interested in your work. And I'll bet that there's a massive portion of the listeners out there who are in exactly the same spot. Like they know how to use the camera. They know how to get some good, good shots. And then when it comes to post-processing, they know how to do some stuff. They know how to use like the sliders. Some, we talked about the texture slider, clarity slider. They know how to use that, but they're not really doing much beyond that inside of Lightroom. They're certainly not taking it into Photoshop and doing a lot of the work that can be done there in Photoshop and are kind of intimidated really to, to do that. So I, I like the question just because, I mean, we call the, the podcast here Master Photography Podcast, but that's not because we're all knowing <laughs> about mm-hmm. photography, post-processing. I mean, I'm very much learning stuff still. Brian's learning stuff. We all just, it, 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 the point is, learning together. We're on the trail. We're on the path towards mastering photography. And hopefully it'll never end because I'm really enjoying it. I'm, I love walking down the path. So, um, all right. So here, just, just to give you a, um, a way to do this, there's m- way more than one way to do this. But the way that I might suggest trying to do this in Lightroom is using an adjustment brush and then a combination of the feature that allows you to kind of auto mask it's called auto masking when you're using it so that you can brush it. So that's only going to get on the sky. And if I remember right, your image had like a, a steeple or a clock tower or something in it that's sticking up out of the building. Is that right? Yeah, it's a clock tower. Okay. Clock tower. So selecting the, or painting on the sky so that it doesn't paint on that clock tower, the auto mask as you're doing, it should do a decent job. Then you can also use um, a new piece of uh, something that's fairly new to Lightroom called range masking. And that's where you can even have it selected based on color or brightness. And so hopefully the sky is a different brightness and or color from the other parts of the image. And you can kind of refine things a little bit using the range masking there. The The point is it's going to, you, the, the application of the adjustment brush, you can make it so that it's only going to be the sky. And then you can take clarity down, you can take texture down, you can take noise reduction up on that adjustment brush, and it'll probably completely kill the pixelation that you're seeing and make it nice and smooth. And, and it should be pretty easy to make that, that happen. So that, that's the way I do it in Lightroom. Have you ever done any of that with an adjustment brush? No. Okay. <laughs> no, right. I haven't. All right, so it, it, it's no. not too tough. I think if you just go give it a try, grab an adjustment brush and start painting in there, look in the options. After you click on the adjustment brush, look in the options for auto mask so that it, and then 
Um, and then the other thing that's really helpful that I, I'm not sure how many people know, there's a way to get to it, but it, it, through like the UI to, to make it so you can see where you're brushing the adjustment brush. But the way, the thing I always do is just you hit O, O stands for overlay, and then that's going to show you where you're painting. And that can show you what you've painted on and you can make sure it's only getting the sky and not getting the pieces of the photo that you don't want it to apply to. So remember, O for overlay. You just hit the O key and then everything that you paint is going to show up. By default, it's in red. I think there's an option you can change that, but I wouldn't worry about it. That just will show you everywhere that, that the adjustment brush is being applied to your photo. And you can make sure that it's, it's not going to touch the, the pieces like the clock tower for example, that you don't want it to touch or, or if there's trees, I can't remember the photo enough to say, we'll, we'll put a photo in the, the show notes so you, the listeners can, can go kind of see what we're talking about there. Oh, great. You're going to show the whole world <laughs> my problems. And... We'll show them the finished one. How's that? <laughs> okay. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, even then I don't, I like, I don't think it's a great one, but <laughs> no, but you know, we're, we're talking the about one. person so... likes colors. So. <laughs> we'll put a small version of it up there. How's that? Okay. All right. All right. Really, really small, like a thumbnail. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like All a right. thumbnail. So, okay, so this brings me since we're going to we're going to go random on things. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this got me into the thought of okay, I have kind of been delaying getting this to the client or making it like official. Really, I should say, like we've been going back and forth talking about other things along the way, uh-huh. but I've been kind of delaying because, like, I want I want to fix this. I want my work to be the best work it can be. Sure, but at the same time, she's already seen the image. And if I just sent her what she saw, you know, some people might be like, oh, well, that should be good enough. Uh-huh. Um, now, I know you and I know me and I know others probably are, are like, no, you've got to fix that. It's got to be the best. But like to me, I've been having this internal struggle of, OK, but is this making me look bad professionally because I haven't gotten it to her right away? Uh-huh. You know, or do I get it to her and say, I'm just doing some last minute touch up so that you're, so it's ready for print, you know? So it's kind of been that struggle in my mind of, okay, I've got to figure out how to fix this. She's been waiting. Which one is going to give? Right. You know? Right. I know you're not alone on this. We've, we've seen, I've seen some people in the Facebook group recently. I, I, I can't remember who it was. I'm not going to go look it up right now, but there's somebody who's been posting, uh, an image that that a client saw and really wants to buy and wants to print it. I think they want to print it fairly large. They want it on metal. They they, they really like the image. And the photographer was worried about, uh, similarly to how you are, like, yeah, but is this really the best this image can be? Um, they they d- weren't sure how to use some stuff in Photoshop too. So they they posted like, I don't know, two or three weeks ago and said, all right, what would you do to this image? What What is this mis- image missing? How would you process this image and they got a lot of feedback they got a a lot of suggestions and they the photographer then went and tried to incorporate that and learned i'm sure a ton about some some post-processing they weren't familiar with yet and now they just i saw it just today again they posted another um before and after and they're saying okay this is what i've done this is where i'm at with the image now what do you think is there more you would do and so kind of a similar situation, right? They're like, I want to deliver the very best I can to the client. But the clients already said they liked the photo, like, you know, mm-hmm. what, what they saw. So that was going to be my personal feedback the second time around was you already did quite a bit with this. You already um, changed it so that it's probably going to end up with a little better product than the client even anticipating. I wouldn't worry about it now. Like they like the original shot. That said, it is tough when it's on like a mobile device, like if they're just seeing an Instagram image where you can't really even zoom in <laughs> or anything, um, you know, you can't do much with that Instagram image. If that's the only thing they've seen and they're saying, I'd love a print of that. Yeah. There's still potential that the client's going to be disappointed if they get the print. And like you said, the sky in this image you've been working on is all pixelated. Sure. I, I think that there there's a, a need for you to make sure that that's going to work and doing a test print. Like you said, especially if if listeners out there haven't done a whole lot of delivery of a print to a client, doing a test and making sure you see it yourself and and that you're going to be happy with handing that over to the client. I think it's totally a, a, a fair and a good thing to do to kind of go through that experience and make it there. But but keep in mind, the client already said they like the image. So it's not like you need to make massive changes. Just making it so that the sky doesn't look pixelated is probably a, a fair way to go. 
But I think at the same time, you never want a client to come back and say, oh, this, I want my money back. The quality wasn't <laughs> what I, you know, had thought or whatever. Sure. It, and you're right. Right. I, I, I agree that doing what you can to make sure that, that they won't have that reaction. But I, as photographers, we're way more sensitive to some things than, than most clients probably will be. Now, there, of course, there's going to be some that are going to be, you know, so used to working with photographers and evaluating images. If you're working with like a magazine editor or something like that, there's, you probably have some, some clients that you could work with that are going to have higher standards than others. But in general, um, I think, you know, if a client said, I, I really love that image that you post on Facebook or on Instagram, can I get a copy of that? Can I, what, what is it going to cost for me to get a, get that image? I don't mm -hmm. think there's a ton you need to work with. And it, like, even if there's noise, noise is a, a perfect example. I think uh, so many photographers worry so much about seeing noise in a photo. When, if that's really what someone's going to notice when they look at the photo, then it's not a very good photo. It's, you know, the, the subject matter, the, the mood of the photo, the story, the photo should tell that should be what, what everyone notices. And yeah, if they, if they go, Oh yeah, there is a little bit of grain in there. So what? <laughs> that's, it's not something a lot of photographer, non photographers are going to be, are going to notice and see. So I, I don't think that we, I think we obsess over it way more than most clients are going to notice. Would you ever let a client, would you ever point out something in your photo to a client? Well, so I think it would depend. I, it may depend on the use case. You know, this client that you've got for this, this picture with the building and the clock tower and the sunset, they're interested in it probably because of the building and the beautiful scene that it's in at the time you took the shot. Is, there, is that accurate? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, the fact that there's, I mean, obviously the sky having obvious pixelation in it, that's going to draw attention to itself. I think that's fair. That's a good thing to try to remedy, but I wouldn't point anything out. In fact, so what, here's how I test it. <laughs> I do this all the time. My family's like rolls their eyes now when I, when I go up and like, okay, I need you to, to look at this photo <laughs> because I do this all the time because they're non-photographers. They, well, my wife does a, a fair amount with photography now too, but what I do is I say, I want you to look at this shot and I, I try to show them either on my computer or an iPad. So it's a little bigger screen than, than a phone, but look at this shot. Does anything look weird to you? <laughs> and yeah. most, most of the yeah. time it's because I've done something in Photoshop and I'm a little worried that I went, <laughs> I went overboard and, uh, yeah. and I want to see, all right, is this something where you're like drawn to drawing, drawing attention to it? And they're becoming an audience that I, I, I might not be able to go to because they're learning a lot about, <laughs> about images and photography. <laughs> and, uh, and so I'm kind of ruining my, my test bed there um, of what it can be. But, but I think that's, right. a, that's probably a, a fair way to do it. It's, and it, I, I do think it almost has to be a non-photographer um, so that they, I mean, depending on what you want. If you want to figure out how to learn to do more post-processing and what other photographers would do with an image that's totally fair if that's your objective and, and go ask them and you can learn a lot. But if your objective is just to make sure that your photo is going to be okay for a potential client, then I think a non-photographer might even be more valuable um, so that they can say, no, I, you know, I, I think this looks great. This is a beautiful image way to go. Or yeah, that sky, that looks a little weird. I don't know what's going on there, but that's, that looks weird. Then, then, you know, okay, I gotta go fix that. Right. Yeah, I do that with my wife as well, and sometimes with my daughter. Um, I don't ask my boys because they'd be like, "I don't know," you know. They're just they're teenage teenage boys. Yeah, they don't know. Yeah, <laughs> perfect. All right, so I, I like that. I um, I I'd love to see you give it a try with the adjustment brush and see if it makes sense. If it doesn't, then let's talk. Well, maybe when we're done here, yeah. you and I will talk and how I do that adjustment brush. Sure, and sure, okay. It actually it is a. Uh, the photo is currently in my Instagram, so you can go to Brian McGuckin. That's my Instagram Instagram handle, and you'll see it there. And we'll have a link to his Instagram account in the show notes. All right, that's a yeah. good way to get him to the photo. That's that's perfect. There you go. Perfect. And if you zoom in, you can see in the top, especially the top left, where it's really blue. And don't judge me on the photo, people. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but it, it's like, a drone again, it's not photo. one of the nice. It, like it was one of the things where I just snapped, thinking, oh. This is Instagram worthy. Yeah, Not yeah. thinking, oh, this is a great photo. Somebody's going to want to buy it and put it in their 
<laughs> corporate headquarters or something. But. Brian, this we work hard to make this a safe place. You're thank <laughs> you. You're good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> At least that's the objective. You know, we're trying to make the Facebook group a really safe place for people to be able to ask all kinds of questions. So you right. should feel safe. Thanks. Okay, I want to I want to go to a different topic now. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah. Why not? Okay. So this is going to be back to geeky techie stuff. So, um, but I want your reaction <laughs> to to uh, some stuff that happened with um, Apple had the keynote to WWDC. It's their developers conference that they have go all week and uh, they have a keynote they kick off on the first day of the conference and and talk about like stuff that's coming so most of it nearly all of it is not available yet it's stuff that's coming and mostly they're supposed to be talking to the developers about the things they need to be kind of thinking about and getting ready for so that they can be ready when the stuff actually gets delivered and have their applicate their apps mostly uh, be ready for that. So that's the the supposed purpose for it. But they turn it into a, a pretty good marketing event now too. So so there's a lot of that. All right. So let me tell you about two things that I think are interesting for photographers, and we'll see if you you agree that they're interesting. Uh, do you use an iPad at all, Brian? I do, but mainly just for watching things or, <laughs> yeah. or it's surfing your, the web. It's your Netflix. <laughs> yeah, 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 Netflix and just different apps. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, we have had lots of discussions in our Facebook group over quite a while now, and, and even topics on the podcast on the yeah on, on the podcast so certain episodes where we've talked about iPad for photographers. And there's some apps that are are really helpful for it. We've talked about some of them in the past. It's not really the point, so I'm not going to go into that here. For me, though, the biggest thing that has made it so that I never could consider the iPad a serious kind of photographer's tool for editing, for post-processing, was the limitations on storage. Um, you had, you know... Years ago, they didn't have like enough for like even close to consider it. Today, there are options that have an, a fair amount of storage. There, it's really expensive to get it, but there's decent uh, amount of storage. It's still not was still not enough for me though. Plus, uh, editing using just like your finger wasn't great. Now they have the pencil, which really helps, and that's mm-hmm. that's fairly decent. But um, it just wasn't the the experience like i i prefer the desktop over it so much that it just considered it a weakness well they've announced two changes that are coming up in some uh, they're they're going to call it ipad os it's not going to be ios they're kind of separating the phone from the ipad now and uh there's two things that they're changing that i think could be really meaningful and make it so that uh adobe is planning to do f- full photoshop on the iPad um, that's supposed to be sometime in 2019 that it gets released. And I think Apple has really helped make the case for that being meaningful with these two changes. So the first change is file access, including connecting external storage and allowing an application to like directly talk to that external storage. So you could connect, presumably it would be mostly memory cards, but and I don't have details on exactly what it's going to be. But today the process really was you could connect like a memory card to the iPad, but then all you could really do was copy photos from the memory card onto the storage in the iPad, which is where, again, the limitation was for me that just wasn't enough storage for that to be really meaningful. Like I couldn't even fit a whole shoot onto the iPad for a reasonable price. And uh, so that was a, a significant limitation. And they're saying I think they're going to make it so that that's no longer an issue. You could have an app on the iPad directly talk to the memory card and work from the memory card without bringing it onto the local iPad, which is kind of cool. And I think really makes it a much more compelling thing for photographers. And then the second thing was they're going to let you use a mouse. They're going to make it so that you can connect a USB mouse to the iPad. And to me, that really really makes it compelling because I'm way better using the mouse than I am like the pencil. And, and I've, it just felt like it got in the way a little bit as I was trying to do editing on the iPad, the the little bit I've done. I know some people have loved it. Some people are like, Oh, that's way better than the mouse, but having the option to connect the mouse to it seems really cool. And like these two changes might make the iPad way, uh, way better 
for photographers, especially as like a mobile solution for doing some some editing, maybe not full editing. You might still wait for your desktop, but as a mobile solution to do some edits on the road and, and share on social media, it seems like it might be really great for that. What do you think, Brian? Does that does that sound like it would make the device better? Um, slightly, but why would you use like why would you use a mouse for editing over a pen? Yeah. Okay. So have, have you tried the pen? No, I have not. All right. So some people love it. Like uh, the Wacom's had a, a similar kind of capability with their Cintiq products for a long time where the photo is right there on the screen on the Wacom tablet, the Cintiq brand. And you use the same Wacom pen to do the editing. And, and some people, just some photographers love it. They rave about that. Like I love being, it makes it feel more like it's a, a normal kind of, pen on paper experience to be able to do it because you're seeing it right there on the screen as you're using the pen. I've When I've done it, it just is different enough from what I'm used to that I didn't like the experience myself. Again, some people loved it, but they, I, I, I just didn't like it as much. So I would prefer just myself, I would rather use a mouse to, uh, to do the editing over the pen or, or especially over my finger. The finger was really not great. <laughs> there was some minor editing you could do with some of the tools like Snapseed had a, a really nice way to be able to kind of drop a, an adjustment button sort of into a, a, an area and then it would like auto select places where it was going to make a changes and player adjustments and and it, it did a good job that way. But yeah, doing trying to do like an adjustment brush and paint it with your finger over the area was it just didn't work very well for me. Have you- yeah, I could see that, but like, why not use? And so I totally agree with like using your finger on the on the iPad screen to do that. Yeah, and I could maybe see why a pen wouldn't be as easy to use. Some people love it. Some people just love it. But yeah, I would I would enjoy the pen more than that. But like, I would probably prefer the pen on like the on a tablet type thing, like off to the side, like just on the table, like the Wacom does. Uh huh. And like I would prefer that method. I and see. If they're going to use a mouse, why USB? Why can't they just Bluetooth it? Oh, and um, it's still early on. They may have that. They just it, like they barely touched on on these couple of things. So uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens as this stuff actually gets released and what's what's fully capable when we get full specs on it. And I'm I, I'm betting if I went and looked. Uh, at the classes that were at the conference and and dove into it that they'd have more information available already. I just haven't done that yet. So uh, I'm going on, you know, a, a very short talk about it and uh, we'll see what the full capabilities are. I guess the overall point is I think Apple and maybe it's in anticipation or based on feedback from Adobe in particular, because they do work very closely together. Uh, I think they're making the iPad into a much more viable editing solution than it has been in the past and lots of photographers have been able to make it work pretty well for them already so adding these couple of things that might really make it compelling so it's something to watch and and really cool uh stuff that's going on there what i like about it is that they're they're doing stuff yeah yeah they're not just letting the ipad be the ipad like they're constantly trying to improve it and so i do enjoy that yeah um is there a way to just take a photo and then have your image wirelessly just like Bluetooth or, you know, onto your iPad. So, okay. I, I have used, uh, from Canon. Canon has, I've used it personally from Canon, um, for many shoots now where I'm actually bringing my iPad with me to client shoots for that very reason. Right after I press the shutter button, they can see the image I took. And then like, if I'm doing senior portraits, mom can have the iPad in her hand and, uh, she'll see the image and be like, oh, that wasn't a real smile or, uh, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. And, and say, let's do this again. And, and, and it's, it's been awesome. So I'm not walking over to show her this little itty bitty image on the back of my camera. They're seeing on the iPad, but it's only JPEGs because they're, they're much littler. So it's not sending their off files. Um, I think uh, I'd have to check. Anyway, the point is, yes, there is some wireless connectivity. It's getting better all the time. Canon has pretty decent. Nikon, I know, struggled for a long time, but I think the, the latest reviews, and I don't have personal experience with it, but the latest reviews of SnapBridge, their stuff there is that it's gotten lots better too. And now that there's these storage options uh, or the iPad's really becoming more of a, uh, a legitimate device for, this sto- for editing photos, 
I would imagine that's going to be even more of a focus that the camera manufacturers are going to have lots of pressure. Like, Hey, this is becoming a platform photographers are using to edit photos. If we can't get the photos onto the platform, that's a problem. And so, so I'd, mm-hmm. I'd imagine that'll put pressure on them to fix it and make it better. Yeah. It is tough though. Wireless transmission of, uh, of these big raw files, those are huge and <laughs> it would take a little while. Uh, like if you wanted to do it one at a time, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to just see, we'll, we'll see how it works, how it goes, um, where, where it heads. All right. One more thing from WWDC and this, <laughs> this one, um, it, it's been rumored for, well, not rumored. Apple has said that they are working on a new Mac pro for a long time. So I don't know. Are you familiar with the current Mac pro? Uh, slightly the trash yeah. can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Everyone calls it the trash can. Um, and when it very first came out, some people were, were kind of excited about it, but mostly the creatives, the people who have really demanding needs, especially like video content creators, uh, didn't like it and it, it didn't last very long for them. I mean, there might be some exceptions. There might be some people who are, are happy with it, but most of the the videographers that I know, like, yeah, that's just not serious. It's it. They went form over function. Um, it doesn't meet my needs. It's not good enough. And so they've done they've done either iMacs or they've uh, gone to PC because the they could get the hardware they needed for it. So um, Apple heard that feedback from lots and lots of people, and they planned to revamp it. They announced, I think it was 2018. They announced the they were going to revamp the Mac Pro. And that it was going to meet the needs of especially these really demanding video videographer needs uh, like 8K video, uh, making sure that it can you can process and, and edit 8K video um, seamlessly and, and work really well. So they've been designing it for quite a while. People have been a little disappointed that it's taken as long as it has. But they finally announced in uh, in early June here, 2019, they announced what they're going to be um, pr- delivering by the end of the year. By the end of 20, I think it was by the end of the year. Anyway, it's it's a modular Mac, which is what one some of the people wanted. They wanted to be able to put in the memory themselves, you know, upgrade the memory. I don't know if all of that's coming. There's still not a ton of detail about that. Well, it, what's for sure is you can get to it. Like it's a it's a case. <laughs> it looks like a cheese grater. <laughs> it does. It, it does. It really does look like a cheese. It grater. looks like a cheese grater. And it did back in 2006. They they had a 2006 mac pro that looked like a cheese grater back then and was pretty modular and allowed you to to do things yourself in it and people loved those so much that they were still using it today and just like upgrading the hardware inside of it and and making it work so that they could do their their projects on it and it it looks very much like a cheese grater so but you can take the case off and you can get to the components that are inside it's not sealed off it's not glued together it's it's modular and we'll see how much they'll let you change um, there's certainly the you know, Apple has something called the T2 chip that um, does some checking of the hardware and and won't let you change components. So we'll see how that goes over time and, and how much of this you can actually change yourself or if you have to buy pieces from Apple or I will we'll see I, They haven't made enough information available to know all this yet. But what they did say, I mean, it's super powerful. It's it's very cutting edge, like current technology, which was the the massive thing that all these videographers really, really wanted and, and photographers. And um, so they, they announced kind of the entry level specs and the price. So it's entry level is an eight core processor, 256 gig SSD and 32 gigabytes of RAM, which is all pretty decent specs. That's, uh, you know, towards the high end of a Mac mini or a uh, iMac today. And, um, but the cost for that is $6,000 to start with just the base level. Um, any, any way that was something that would appeal to you, Brian, six, six grand for that kind of a entry level Mac pro. Sure. If I had millions of dollars, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, uh, to me, it's like, that's great. And I'm sure there's somebody out there that really, a lot of people that really can utilize all that. And, you know, companies that can afford to buy it for the company. Um, that's a lot of money for an individual. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, especially somebody who doesn't necessarily do it full time, but right. Yeah, no, I, I mean, to me, it's like, well, I don't need that. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm working well with my MacBook pro and that works well for me. So I don't really need that. Right. 
Yeah, and and you know, to be honest, Lightroom probably wouldn't benefit a whole lot from this thing. So fully loaded, you can get to insane numbers here. It's like 128 cores for processing and 1.5 terabytes of memory. It's just insane. But there it's probably going to be somewhere between $35,000 and $50,000 to fully load this machine. And Jeez. yeah, it's crazy. But again, it's 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 not quite the photographer market. That's not what this would be for. This would be more like movie studios, uh, you know, Pixar or uh, something along those lines. People who do 8K video, uh, creating 8K video, 8K video content. That's the kind of thing where this this thing would do it. So they said that this machine will do will very seamlessly process three streams of 8k video at once no problem just smooth um so there's there's going to be a market for it but it's probably not huge and i would guess almost doesn't make sense for any photographer <laughs> if if you don't do mm-hmm. a ton of video content uh i'm guessing you're going to be better off in other macs than this one to uh, just to get the price to performance like lightroom probably wouldn't benefit from from this kind of hardware it's just not built to utilize this kind of hardware the the software itself is not really built to do it so it's probably massive overkill for lightroom and and you wouldn't actually see benefit like it it wouldn't be better on that versus an imac so it's a lot of money are you (laughs) gonna get one no way <laughs> nope. No, I when I I was imagining the base level, the entry level. When they said that this machine was coming, um I thought the entry level would be more like 10,000. I was guessing it would be a $10,000 price tag. So I was a little surprised that it was only 6,000 as an entry level. And um, So you just basically made $4,000. <laughs> so you can buy yourself one. I sure. And it's going to cost you like 2 grand. I would love to have one and try it out and and do stuff and and actually for my day job, it would be super helpful. I'd be able to run virtual machines with all kinds of uh, security stuff that I'd be testing out, and, and it would be sweet for that. But no, there's there's no way I will I will be buying one of these. <laughs> They're just way <laughs> too much money. Yeah. So interesting stuff that came out of WWDC. Um, that it's kind of fun. I I enjoy hearing about it, even though there's no way I'll have any of it. <laughs> I'm gonna be I'm gonna be honest. I. Took a nap when you said eight core processor, <laughs> two hundred fifty six. I, I don't know what else you said after that. Yeah, yeah. And, and you woke up when I said six thousand dollars for it. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I thought I thought you were going to give me six thousand dollars. <laughs> uh, silly me. Yeah, six thousand. That's amazing. All right, yeah. uh, let's let's. I want to go on to to one final kind of topic here. We have we have about fifteen minutes left that we can we can kind of randomly talk about this, but you just recently shot the Indy 500. Can I, uh, how many years in a row have you done this now? Oh, I don't know. Uh, probably nine or 10 years now. Okay. okay. And yeah. you're, I mean, we talked about this last year, I think we did a little episode after this. So, so listeners mm-hmm. can go look that up. We, we talked about the Indy 500, but what I, what I wanted to, to get out of your experience from the Indy 500 was two things. I, I want to know what, have you been doing since you've done this for nine years now? What have you been doing that's really working that that you keep doing because it's really really working, and um and you're going to continue to do it? And maybe kind of was there anything that was a little different this year that you learned from? Mm-hmm. Good questions. Okay, so yeah, I I think I've done it now for maybe ten years. The first two years. I was basically, my job was to uh, capture the experience of the celebrities that were brought in. And so I basically just hung out by them and captured what they were doing. That's rough. Um, That's hard. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's hard when you're sitting in the air conditioning uh, of the pagoda, Uh which is their fancy building, eating and and drinking with them um, and just hanging out. So yeah. (laughs) But the so the last eight years, my job basically has been uh, so most people probably don't know unless you're into race cars, which I'm not into race cars. But the Indy 500 is a really cool experience. But uh, so the engines are made by either Honda or Chevy, okay. and so that's kind of a big thing. The Honda people want the Honda, you know, Honda engine cars to win, and the Chevy people want the Chevy ones to uh-huh. win. And so what happens is 
a handful of Honda dealers from all over the country, as well as some of the bigwigs from Japan, come in and they spend kind of four days uh, of an experience in Indianapolis doing different things, whether it's like going to Top Golf or going on a brewery tour or going to, um, to race like uh, golf carts or going it, the Indy 500, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, the track actually has a golf course that starts outside the track and then goes in into the track. So it's kind of interesting in how uh, a lot of people like to be able to, to do that. So sometimes they offer that to some of these, um, some of the dealers, some of the guests that are there. And so my job basically is to capture the experience. Uh, each of the night they'll have like Mario Andretti is a big Honda driver um, or was, and they'll have him and some other drivers. A lot of the rookies will come and speak to these dealers about, you know, how the week has been and, and how they're feeling about the race. And a lot of times, you know, they'll name drop the Honda engine and what they're excited about with it and so forth. Mm -hmm. So my job is often to capture the experience to show, look, here are the drivers mingling with the guest or here they are, you know, listening during a Q and a, uh, trying to grab the, the funny thing is also like, I'll, I'll try to grab at the end. They'll have, if you want to come up and get your picture taken with the driver, you can, but it's always people coming up and using their cameras, their phones. And so I'm standing right next to them. Hardly ever does anybody ask me to take their photo, knowing <laughs> that they're going to end up getting these pictures. Right. And it, it's just because, and I get it though, because it's the immediacy of it. Right, like they right. want it It's now. right there on their phone. Yeah. yeah. Right. And they want to be able to post to Facebook right. what they're doing now, not when they get the images in, in the like week. five days. Yeah. Yeah. And so I totally get that. Um, so my job is to, to do that with them for a few days. And then on race day, I go with them to the race and basically hang out with them and just capture the race experience. But the perk of that is I get a pass to go onto the track before the race begins. And so I can get close up shots of all the cars. Um, you know, I, I try to capture a lot of the atmosphere and some really cool, uh, I guess like artsy type of, of shots. Uh, and then I try to get a spot where each of the drivers are introduced in the beginning. They come up and they stand on this podium. They come up in, in groups of three because the way it works is there's 11 rows of three drivers. So okay. the first row has three cars. The second row has three cars. So there's a total of 33. And so they introduce them by threes. Uh -huh. And then usually there's um, some celebrities, whoever's going to be like waving the flag um, to like, you know, start your engine type thing. Uh-huh. And so this year it was Matt Damon and Christian Bale um, because they have, what is it? There's a, like a Corvette movie oh, okay. coming out. I don't, I don't know. Sure. All so, marketing stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's Ford, Ford and Ferrari. Ford versus Ferrari is the name of the movie. Oh. So they, these two are there to kind of plug it. So my job really is to try to capture that, to show, you know, here are the celebrities that were here at the race with these people. Um, you know, here are the drivers I try to get, usually the guests get to come down like a few at a time if they sign up ahead of time. So I try to find them on the track to get pictures of them with the race cars. And, uh, so that's kind of it. And, and then I just hang on and watch the race with them and, and capture the cars, um, and capture them like watching the cars. And they're really cool. I've done this so long with them that the thing that's been consistent is the relationships. Uh -huh. Like it's fun. I've seen some of these people, you know, six, seven, eight years in a row. And it's fun to see them again. And then be like, oh, hey, you're back again. And I've made some neat connections and have had some opportunities that have come from that, uh, which has been kind of fun. Um, but what I love is the relationship of it. And because of that, you know, there's kind of like not a lot of pressure from them for, for my photos, like they're going to be happy with whatever they get. Uh -huh. But on my end, it's okay. How do I make them happier? And how do I top this? If I've done this eight years, I know what shots to get right away. I know what shots of the crowd I need to get of them sitting there in the stands and, you know, all of them watching as their heads turn really quickly as the cars come by. Uh, you know, I know a handful of the angles that I need to try to get, but I, I'm constantly trying to push myself to try something new. 
and to be better at it. And one of the hardest things to do, it's easy to capture a race car going 220 miles per hour and then make it freeze. Right. The hard thing is to capture the car frozen, but to capture movement. Right. Right. You know, make it seem like it's going that practice. fast. Yeah. Yeah. And that's all practicing your panning, you know? And so it's funny because I'll be standing there next to some people and the cars come by and I go zoom. And I'm like really quickly, like jerking my body with my 70 to 200 lens. And these people are like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, kind of like laughing at me as I do it. But I, it's helping me to practice and to better understand the camera and how things work and trying to get that action in there. Nice. I love it. So is it fair to say, and I think this can be, this can apply to a lot of photographers and the, the genres they choose. I mean, not many are going to be going to the Indy 500 to, to do what you're doing, but you're doing it year after year after year. And that's made it so that you know now kind of the images you need to get. Has that led to your getting, um, being able to, to feel more comfortable that you're going to have the, the basic images they need and then take some chances? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, like I said, because I know I've done this enough times and I know where we're going to be walking, like they'll do a garage tour. And so they get a tour of the garages where the cars are. And a lot of times the drivers are out there too. So it allows me to know, okay, bam, 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 bam. I need to get these shots. Okay. Now what else should I try to capture or what else is around? Or I've done a lot of these types of shots. Maybe I need to try to get in closer on something. Um, or how can I, best capture what the what they're experiencing right you know and so by doing something i think it's still important like they still have expectations of they know the type of shots that i typically give them and so they still want those and we need to do that as a photographer you know get through the shots you know you need to get through so that way you have them and then try something different right and try to improve yourself and and do something that maybe you haven't before and that, that's the thing. So I, I did a we did an episode with uh, with Trevor Daly um, from Magmod a little while ago, and it, it, we we talked through seventeen lighting setups that you can do with Magmod gear, and it, it's a cool episode. If if photographers haven't checked that one out, you really really need to, especially go to the show notes because we actually have um, images for each of the seventeen different lighting setups and and how you would set them up. So some really cool stuff there. But that one of the things that came out of that that I took away and and I've been trying to do with my work too has been get familiar enough like you you have to make sure you meet the client's needs obviously if you're if you're doing senior portraits if you're doing weddings um you know if you're if you have a client that's looking for a specific thing you got to get at least the shots that that they're they are expecting and uh and figure out what that is it's going to take some practice and some time but after you've done it for a little while and you know you can nail those you know you can deliver the basic set of images meet the expectations of the client so they'll be happy that they got their money's worth out of the the shoot that you did. Um, mm. Then, then the key to I think to getting down the road towards mastering your photography is experimenting as in addition to those. Figuring out, okay, I know I have the base shots. I know I'm, I'm going to be able to deliver what the client wants. Now let's see if I can do something better. Some something creative. I want to take. I need to take some chances. Maybe it will not work at all. I've had lots of that myself. We're like, yeah, okay. I thought that was a cool idea, but it just didn't work. Or maybe it didn't work this time, but I know what I'm going to do next time so that I maybe I can make it work the next time. And, you know, the client may not have any expectations, especially if you're up front. Like, I want to try something. You guys will you have a few minutes where we can try something. I don't know if it'll work and and give it a go. Um, that's that's where I think growth really happens and what's really, really cool to make to make it be. And then then some of those things that were experiments early on, they can become your stable stuff. They can become the things that you know you can nail. Like you, you've learned what you have to do to make that happen. And, and now you can do it. And I think that can apply to someone who maybe is just starting out and like you're maybe doing natural light portraits. Nothing wrong with that. That's going to be great. There's lots of people who need that kind of photography and it's going to meet their needs um, and they, but you're afraid to add lighting, even though we talk about all the time on the podcast, like adding artificial light to it, flash, it's, it can really expand what you can deliver and, and the things that you can do, uh, it could be totally scary. But if you look at it that way, like, well, okay, let's just say, I, I want to try something. I got something new. I got a new piece of gear and equipment. I want to try this out. Are you guys okay if we do that? 
and and test it and experiment that's where you're going to grow that's what's going to make you better and move towards mastering your photography i love it that's the part that i love the very most is figuring out something totally new that i've never done before it's awesome but i think what's most important i totally 1000 percent agree is but you need to nail down everything else before sure, that. Sure, Because you, you that's, where, yeah. that's what they're paying you for. <laughs> right. That's what the expectations are. And you do that, you nail those so you feel good about it, and then explore yeah. and experience, experiment. I love it. All right, Brian, I think we've kind of come to the end. I didn't ask you before, did you have a doodad of the week you wanted to share this week? <laughs> yeah, so it's not a specific one. Um, however, so... My middle son has been playing soccer a lot, and he's fairly decent at it, and he's been fun to capture. And, you know, I sh- shared last year, I think it was the, the photo I got of him kind of in the air doing a kick. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but now I want to, I feel like I miss, you can only see so much from a photo to where I'm like, okay, I'm going to click it on video mode and try to get him, you know, doing some of his footwork with the ball. And when you're zoomed in like that, it's just hard to do. And, you know, and, and with the movement of everything and, and what I want to be doing is, so basically to get to the, the point, the doodad that I want is I want some type of nice gimbal. Um, I haven't ever really played with one. I know the DJI Ronin supposed to be a good one. Uh, so, you know, I, I need to experiment a little bit, just some type of gimbal that will help things be a little bit smoother as I run around crazy trying to, capture my kids and whatever it is they may be doing okay so a gimbal perfect yeah. uh i'm gonna i'm gonna give one that i've done in the past but i i like repeating them occasionally because i can confirm that it's still working well for me like after i've used it for a while say yeah i, I can still recommend this thing and that's not always the case with everything so i think there's value in repeating them uh especially if after I've used it, I'm like, oh man, I'm so glad I have this thing. <laughs> Those are really valuable things to know about. So the one I'm gonna I'm gonna repeat is the Black Rapid RS Sport Strap. And so th- this is what I use um, almost every portrait shoot that we do. Um, I don't. I I used to bring a tripod around, tripod around and try to use that some while I was uh, shooting portrait stuff. It it really affect affected how nimble I was, be able to move around. I we we almost always go to a place that the client likes and thinks is beautiful, even though the background doesn't end up playing a major role in the photos, they just like going there and, and we, it, it makes it a a pretty fun experience for everybody. So anyway, I, when I go shoot, I use this almost always for those kinds of things. And it's been super reliable. It, uh, it stays on the camera really well. It's held up incredibly. I like, it looks like the day I bought it and I've had it for probably two, three years now so um, they are a little spendy for the hobbyist photographers out there. It was hard for me to decide I wanted to spend the money on this, um, especially because I needed to get two of them. My wife shoots with me. We take two cameras on all of our shoots and she shoots with me. So um, so I had to get two of them. They're $90 a piece and uh, it's a little bit much for what I wanted to pay for it, but it's been totally worth it. Build quality is great. It's lasted a long time and it really helps you know, make sure I can have the camera, I can offload the weight of the camera to kind of my shoulders um, rather than my back um, when I'm not, mm. when I don't have it up, um, which is great. It's it's really nice for that. I, I love it. So that's that's my doodad of the week this week. Yeah, I have the Black Rapid Double Breathe in, or Double Breath, whatever it is. Um, and I really like that as well. They do a good job and they, they, are, they are comfy on the shoulder. And you're right, it does help you know, with the, the weight on your back, just having that spread out. I use mine when I, whenever I shoot an NFL game, just cause I usually have to have like three cameras right, with me. Right. But yeah, those are really handy. Yeah. Yeah. I love them. Okay. Mm-hmm. We're going to remind everyone that you can go find the show notes, masterphotographypodcast.com. You can find the notes for the shows. They're all searchable out there. So you can uh, find stuff from this episode and, and all the episodes in the past. There's lots of, of great information that's out on the website. You can find our Facebook group. There's a link to it in those same show notes, Master Photography Podcast. You can search for it. We do ask you to answer a question. I still see lots of people who try to join the group. I, I'm guessing it's not because they heard the show that they went. They're, they're probably just searching on Facebook for photography groups, and, and ours is a pretty popular one. So they, they ask to join without knowing anything about the show. But we won't let those folks in. 
only listeners are allowed in. So you have to name a host on the show. Jeff or Brian will work. You only need the first name. That's all. We just want evidence that you're a listener. So we can keep the spammers and the bots out of there and uh, and have it just be a fun community where we can share uh, information and and help each other down the, the path towards mastering our photography. We also have an Instagram account, ma- at Master Photography Podcast. If you want to check that out, you can find my work at jsharmanphotos.com, uh, my other podcast, phototacopodcast.com. And I never got an episode out in May 2019. I'm sad about that. But there's just been a lot of testing I've been doing in Lightroom that took longer than I expected. So I, I haven't made that out. Uh, sorry, but I will be doing that soon. Uh, my Facebook and, and Instagram and Twitter accounts, you can all find that out on the on the show notes too. Brian, where can people find you? You're a busy guy. I don't know how you do everything that you do, Jeff. <laughs> you are, man. You're amazing. Oh, well, thanks. <laughs> um, you can find me, well, right now you'll find me all over the place. Um, my website is brianmcguckin.com. My Instagram is at brianmcguckin. Same with uh, my Twitter. My Facebook is, I think, Brian McGuckin Photography. You have to add that onto the end. But uh, yeah, or come to Carmel and find me in Carmel in the north side of Indianapolis and we'll get coffee and we'll talk. That's nice. even better. Love it. Yeah. Love it. All right. You'll find all this in the show notes. And uh, and so go go visit those. We, we put some time into those. <laughs> so go, go take a look at the show notes and, and I think it'll really help you out. All right. Every, we're so glad to have you listeners. Uh, so grateful that everyone... We'll continue listening as we all work towards mastering our photography. And we'll see you all again in another seven days.